Well, hello, everybody. I am so happy you're here. Thanks for coming to church. It's sunny outside, a little cold, but sunny. Hey, a few weeks ago, we started a series in the book of 1 Thessalonians. Uh, it's a tradition around here that in the new year, through the month of January and into February, we'll take one book from the Bible, usually a shorter book. 1 Thessalonians is five chapters. And I would just invite everybody to read along. So every week we'll look at the next chapter. And here's the reason we do this is because uh, one of the core convictions that I have is that God is a God who speaks. And so as you read through 1 Thessalonians in your own way, here's what I know. I know that God is with you and it is not just up to you and your mind and your biblical study skills. In fact, we know that the spirit of God, God's Holy Spirit, one of the primary things that he does is he reminds us of truth and he teaches us. So when you open the Bible, you never read the Bible alone. He is there teaching and mentoring. So last week, in chapter two, we looked at Paul, who's writing this letter, and he talks about the struggles that he has had. So, you know, most of the times I want to bring like some encouraging, happy thing. But this book really is designed in large part to help the people in Thessalonica deal with pain, trials, struggles, and difficulties in their life. So Paul says, listen, my life has had a significant number of trials. Uh, we look at 1 Corinthians where he lists out what he's, excuse me, 2 Corinthians, where he lists out what he's been through. He says five times, five different times, I was stripped and beaten with a whip, 39 lashes, one short of a death penalty. He says, three times I was beaten with rods. I've been imprisoned countless times. I've gone through shipwrecks. He talks about the wear and tear on his soul and on his body. So we discovered this. One of the things that Paul had was what we called grit. Grit. If you looked at that guy's back, it would have been covered with scars. And every scar had a story. These scars, the freshest ones, they're from my time in a town called Philippi, neighbors of Thessalonica. I went there and it was worth it. They beat me, but I got to tell people about Jesus, who he was. I got to tell them that God has come to earth, that the world can now be radically different. So he had grit, but he coupled with that. And this is astounding. Guys, this is a beautiful picture of masculinity. So he had this grit. He could get through anything, but he couples with it this incredible gentleness for the people in Thessalonica. He reminds them how much he loves them. So these two things are not polar opposites. He says, I can, listen, I've lived through the worst of the worst. I'm a soldier. I'm a survivor. And yet I still have room in my life to be compassionate and gentle and loving. That's a true picture of masculinity. So in chapter three, here's what's going to happen. Paul's now going to talk to them at length about their perspective regarding difficult times. How are they going to get through it? I want to show you a map just so we can reorient ourselves. Sometimes it's easy just to think of this as a book that was written about 52 AD to some uh, obscure people. But this is, this is what was happening. Paul's been on this journey. He's moved away from Turkey, gone to Philippi, where we just talked about he was beaten. He is then in Thessalonica. He's there anywhere from three weeks to two months. We're not exactly sure. He plants a church. 
certain factions in the city turn against him. They have to sneak him out at night because it's going to be another beating, right? Just another one. But he makes his way all the way down to Corinth and Athens, and he's staying here, and he is consumed with concern for this church. This is an important city. Thessalonica had a population of somewhere between 200,000 250,000 people, one of the major cities in the Roman world. They will go on to have an impact. They'll plant churches throughout this region. So he doesn't know. After my, my, my months there, what happened? Are the believers, are, are, are they making it? Have the trials and the, tri- and the difficulties overwhelmed them? So he sends Timothy back. Timothy comes back with a report and Paul writes his first letter, his first letter to a church, book of 1 Thessalonians. Send Timothy, take this back. I've got some things I want to tell them. So before we read the text, I just want us to pause for a moment and think about different philosophies on that journey of life, especially when you think about hard times. So when it comes to life, I think when, it, when life is difficult, when it, you're at that place where you thought, wait a minute, I never expected to become addicted. I never expected to go through a divorce. I never expected to deal with physical pain and suffering. I never expected to have my heart broken. I think commonly there's four ways that we look at that. First one would be this. It's just fate. It's fate. You know, there's this thing out there. There's this operative rule in the universe where Everything is just going to happen and you don't have control over it. So, well, that happened to me. That's just my fate. Then there's a way that we look at it. We say, well, it has to do with luck, right? And luck is kind of arbitrary. Some people have good luck. Some people have bad luck. And like, well, that's a bummer. Too bad that happened to you. That must have been bad luck. Some people seem to always have good luck. Some people always have bad luck. That's another way of viewing life. And then there's probably a billion people in this world that would say, well, it's the, the way you understand the journey of life is this thing called karma. And it's this, this law of retribution out there that what I sow, I reap. So if I sow good things in my life, eventually those will get back. If I sow discord and evil, I'll get those back as well. And then probably in America, a lot of people would have a perspective of, well, you make your own luck. It's the harder you work, the easier life will be. The better you do, the more ease you'll have. So those are ways of viewing life. But Paul is going to write to the people in Thessalonica, and he's going to give them a much fuller picture of how to deal with the journey of life. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service, in spreading the gospel of Christ to, so Timothy, here's your job when you go to Thessalonica, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. Faith has a capacity to expand, to grow, to become more mature, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. So right at the beginning, he's going to say, listen, you've experienced trials, and you can either be unsettled and topple, or you could, you could stand firm in the midst of it. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. Now, what's the them? The trials. This is a challenging statement. Paul's talking to brand new neophyte, baby followers of Jesus. And he says, one thing you want to know from the very beginning is that we are destined 
for them. It is inevitable. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that your, our labors might have been in vain. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and he has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day, we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Now, one of the unique things about the book of 1 Thessalonians, it is the only book in the New Testament that in every chapter it mentions the return of Jesus. That's an important thing. We'll get into this in the next couple of weeks. This is going to be a main theme in the book of 1 Thessalonians. But he says, listen, what we're doing here is we're waiting and we're prepping for what's to come. That one day Jesus will return and he'll make everything that's wrong right. But in the meantime, how are you going to live your life? Okay, I broke this down into two points. You ready? And the first point, man, <clears throat> I look for another way to say this. I tried to put on my best Joel Olstein positive thinking. Like, because I want something memorable that you walk away with, you feel encouraged, but there is no easy way to put the first point. So are you ready? Prepare yourself. This is it. I am destined for difficulty. Anybody say, oh, amen. Everybody like, no, I don't want to say that. That's negative thinking. Yeah, I don't know. Or maybe it's realistic thinking. But there is no way that you can read that chapter where Paul says things like this. These trials I warned you about from the very beginning. I asked a great lesson. I know there's people in all different places in their spiritual journey here. Some of you are contemplating whether or not you're going to follow Jesus. One of the things that Paul would want you to know up front, it could get rough. But I'd also say it's going to get rough without Jesus too. But I am destined for difficulties. Paul says, they're part of my destiny. They were laid out. They're unavoidable. It's inevitable. He says, you well know that you're destined for difficulties. Well, you know, I'm not sure I know that very well. I, I've been following the Lord for about 30 years, and I am embarrassed to say that when bad things happen to me, I still go, well, not fair. Lord, I have been so good recently. I don't deserve this. Why is this happening to me? Paul says, hey, get over that. Quit being surprised every time something difficult happens to you because we know quite well that we were destined 
for difficulties, knowing that trials exist, takes away the surprise and prepares me for looking at what is actually going to happen. So I'd like you to visualize something with me. Imagine this is, this is where we are, okay? This is where you are in your spiritual journey. And over there by the piano, that is called spiritual maturity, okay? There's a distance between where I'm at and where spiritual maturity is. Here's what Paul seems to be saying. As you head down this road of spiritual maturity, there are things that you will encounter that are not easy, that are painful, that might be embarrassing. And you bump up against those and it hurts. And you start thinking, what in the world is happening? I don't want to go through that. I don't want people to know what's inside of me. And so there's a choice we make. I can bump up against it and think, hey, you know what? No, ouch. I'm going to head in a different direction and I'll just kind of wander around in circles. But what that leads to is a lack of maturation. That's arrested spiritual development. Paul's saying, as we walk, you're destined for these difficulties. And the only way to maturity is what? Is going through it. Is going through it. So these surprises. Listen, most of us, it's just a cultural thing we have. We've seen way too many Disney films. We, we really believe in happily ever after. You, when, when you got engaged, you believed that she actually was perfect. She was a princess, that he was Prince Charming. You believe when you got your first job that you'd never struggle in your vocation, that financially everything would be okay. It's always happily ever after. So we are shocked when we get into it and we think, ouch, it's not what I anticipated. Remember a song that Chris Smith, he just, he just helped lead us. Some of you might remember this song. He wrote it as he was going through an incredibly difficult time in his life. And I remember the chorus. It says something like this. The only way out is through. See, you, you can spend a lifetime trying to escape. Like, hey, I don't want to fight through this. I, I, I'd rather just avoid it altogether. The only way to spiritual maturity is to walk through it. And friends, that is not easy. Because after I get through this one, there's another one. But it's part of the process. Now, for many of us, we might think, that, that just doesn't seem fair. A anybody who maybe is a parent, I, I spend a lot of time with my four kids trying to help them avoid painful things in life. <laughs> I, you're a terrible dad if you're like, hey, you know how I taught my kids to swim? I threw them in the Yellowstone. I'm like, they'll either sink or swim. Like, what doesn't kill you will make you stronger, right? So sometimes we take that perspective of God. Is that, that what he's talking about? Like these things that have the potential to destroy us? Th think about it a little bit. I do. I, I want my kids to avoid pain. But as I think deeply about it, I think there are a number of ways that I've partnered with them in their pain to see them grow. Three, th three things in particular. First would be when they learn to walk. 20 years ago, our first was born, and uh, she's just always been a bit precocious, okay? So she started walking at eight months. And I mean, this girl, she had a head the size of a watermelon 
in a tiny little body. And she just like, she did not want to crawl. So she'd get up and it terrified me when she wanted to walk. Cause it was like, bam. And she would fall so hard. And you think, oh my goodness, like you are not ready for this. And here's what I want to do as a dad. Listen, girl, I'm just going to stretch you in, or, you know, strap you into the little baby carrier. And as you get older, I'll make a bigger and bigger little baby carrier because I don't want you to go through the pain of learning to walk. No, what'd you have to do? I had to work with her. I could not sit an eight month old down and go, listen, we're gonna watch a video on the mechanics of bipedal upright walking, okay? I want you, listen daughter, I want you to pay very, very close attention because what you learn on the screen will change your life. There's no shortcuts, is there? It, it, it was one faltering, painful step at a time. It, it was the same when my kids wanted to learn how to ride a bike. I mean, some of my kids were great at it. Some of them like, you're 10 years old and you still have training wheels? Like, it, let's, let's take these babies off, right? But, but when, they're, when they're ready, what do you say? You say, okay, okay, go inside. I want you to put on like three sweatshirts and two pairs of pants. And then come back out and I've got this huge helmet I'm gonna put on you. Why, why do I tell them to prepare? Because I know they're gonna crash. I know there's gonna be some skin knees. I know there's gonna be some tears. But the only way to learn to ride a bike is by going through it, enduring. It's the pain. And so you finally get alongside and you're like, okay, we're doing it, we're doing it, we're doing it. And then you let them go. And you run over and you wipe away their tears. And you say, you were so close. You can do this. Let's do it again. Okay. And you just keep going until they get the hang of it. Third area. I exposed my kids to a lot of pain with skiing. So skiing has been kind of, a, it's kind of an expensive thing. So we made this determination as a family. I looked at my kids and I said to all of them, I said, there's nothing more sad than watching a 40-year-old learn to ski. I mean, it's just, you know when you're, you're going up the bunny hill and you see that 40-year-old guy, he's like, and little kids are zipping by him and he looks like he wants to cry. And you know, he's going to be in so much pain the next day. So I said, my goal in terms of skiing is that you're not that guy, okay? You're not that guy. So we're going to teach you. We'll go once a year, and you're like, okay, pizza, hot dog, pizza. And they crash, and the first half of the day, they hate it, and they hate you, and this is awful, and why did you bring us? But eventually, they learn to ski. I think this whole idea of journeying, journeying towards maturity is that same idea. It's not that God is trying to bring this huge opposition to our lives, but he knows it's there. And this idea is that as I'm moving through life, I am not alone, that he wants to teach me how to walk. Because I just can't crawl for the whole of my life. He wants to teach me how to ride. And there's no way around some bumps and some bruises and some tears in the process. I think here's the question you want to ask. As I am going through life's challenges, will I be a victim or will I be a student? Will I be a victim or will I be a student? If I can settle in my mind, okay, the only way towards growth 
is through pain. Well, when I'm in the midst of the pain, if I'm a victim, I start blaming. Somebody else must be responsible for this. God, why did you do this to me? This is no fair. Or I can be a student. And here's what a student does. A student asks questions. The first question I want to ask when I'm in the midst of difficulty are questions about myself. Here's what I find when I'm going through a hard time. First question I'm going to ask is, what part did I play? I want to take responsibility for whatever decisions might have led me here. Second, I want to ask this, what in me needs to grow up? What part is, remember Paul uses this term to supply what's lacking in your faith? I want to find out what in me is lacking, what's, what's small, what needs to be developed. Let me give you an example. It was probably, oh, 10, 10 or 12 years ago. I, I've been so grateful. I've been blessed with health my whole life. But I went through this crazy, undiagnosed disease. They brought in the CDC, the Center of Disease Control. I'm in the hospital. And on my fourth night there, I would have told you this. I would have told you before I had this, I would have said, I completely trust God. Completely trust God. But the fourth night in the hospital, they think I'm unconscious. And I overhear two of the doctors talking. And they say this. They say, if we do not get control of this, this infection is going to move to his brain and we'll lose him. I realized I do not trust God as much as I thought I trusted God. I panicked. I was like, God, help me. This is scary. I thought I was at peace. But here's what it did. It revealed in me some things that needed to grow up. And it's created a unique advantage in my life. My friend Mike Foster says this. He says, every time you go through pain, it gives you an unfair, unique advantage. Because suddenly you have a wound that allows you to help other people. So up to that point, I had been in hundreds of hospital rooms to pray for people. But you know what? It's different now when I go to a hospital room. When I see somebody in the bed, I, I understand a little bit more of what they're dealing with, how they're feeling. It gives you an opportunity to relate to people. So ask questions. God, what in me needs to develop? What in me may have brought me to this point? But here's the second way you can be a student. You ask questions about God. Ask questions. God, wh where is my conception of you? Where is it small? Where is it truncated? Where is it erroneous, where I believe incorrect things. Because in the midst of this, I can learn about who you are. I guarantee you that if we asked all the people in the room who have been following Jesus for a long time, if we asked you this, when were the times that you grew the most spiritually? Where you, you grasped how much God loved you. It was in the midst of pain. It was in the midst of difficulty. Be a student rather than be a victim. Paul says, you are destined for difficulties. But it's through these difficulties that your father is moving you, teaching you how to grow, moving you down that path of maturity. See, in the midst of a difficulty, I tend to lose my memory. I have a case of amnesia. Here's the thing. So when, when you're facing challenges... We forget these things. Number one, we forget who I am. 
Who am I? I, I, I begin to lose my sense of identity. I know I'm loved by God. I know I'm a son. I'm a daughter of God. I know that he's with me all the time. My identity begins to crack in the midst of challenges. I forget whose I am. I forget that God has adopted me, that I am part of his family, that he loves me unconditionally, that he will never leave me. He'll never forsake me. It's in the midst of pain where I start wondering, God, do you care? Are you involved in this world? And I forget where I am going. One of the things, you study church history. The tougher things got, the more people anticipated heaven. When life is easy, we don't really think about heaven that much. But the tougher things get, the more we realize, listen, this hurts. And tomorrow might hurt. But one day, I'm going to be with him. And everything that's wrong and broken will be made right. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget who you belong to. Don't forget where you're going. Those are tragic, tragic things to lose in the midst of challenges. I love this quote. And probably if there's nothing else you remember from today, I'd love for you to remember this quote. Mike Foster was here this fall. He's a good friend. And he's done some great writing on this. He says this, let God refine the pain rather than let the pain define God. See, so often we allow the pain to define God. So we begin to assume that he's uncaring, he's unloving. The pain defines our theology. He says, no, no, no. Instead, let God refine us. Let him refine what is happening in our lives so that we understand, so that we are moving ahead through the struggles and the difficulties of life. Let him shape us. Let him make us. Let him renew us. So first of all, I'm destined for difficulties. Here's the second part of it, though, and it really is good news. Difficulties lead to development, okay? So it's not just going through one difficulty after another, and there's no purpose behind it. Paul says this. He says, no, no, no. I understand. You're moving through difficulties, but every difficulty is bringing about development in your life. And he's going he's gonna to bring out three ways that he sees them developing. Number one, he says, you've learned how to stand firm. In my absence, after I had to run out of town at night, I wondered, were you guys there or had you been unsettled by challenges? Because challenges can unsettle you. It can throw you back. It can make you lose faith. He says, but Timothy came back and he told me, you're settled. You are standing firm. The pressure, pain, persecution has come. And you haven't retreated. You haven't moved back. You've got your own grit. You're holding on to what is true. You are standing firm. Now, I grew up in Colorado and I had always dreamt of going to the ocean. I kind of went a little bit later in life. I remember um, running out into the ocean. It was one of the first times I'd ever seen it and it was the Oregon coast. And I just like, I'm going. I just ran out and I was shocked, first of all, how cold it was. Apparently it wasn't Hawaii, right? And then I was shocked at how big the waves were. I got out, I'm just running, and that first wave came, boom, just knocked me over. It reminds me, actually, of my first experience in Hawaii. And I just, I, I thought, I'm going to be a great surfer. Like, I, I don't know why, but, you know, it's cool. So, so I started body surfing. I was outside of the Hilton. 
hundreds, like, I don't know, five, six hundred people on the beach, you know, all laying there, everybody from Indiana. I don't know why. People from Indiana always go to Hawaii. Front of the Hilton, and I find this place with these massive waves. And so I'm body surfing, and this one wave comes. It is huge, and it dumps me. When I go down to plant to protect myself, it dislocates my shoulder. So my shoulder's stuck over my head, and then it rips my shorts off. (laughs) And now this wave is washing me up on the beach. I am completely and totally exposed to hundreds of people. And I found out it is impossible to get your shorts back up with one arm. You're like, ha, ha, right? as As I roll and look at the beach, I see hundreds of people standing up from their chairs laughing. They think this is so funny. I don't know what to do because I can't get my pants on. So I let the water take me back out. (laughs) And when I get deep enough, I get my shoulder back in place. I get my shorts on and I look and they're still staring at me. And I swim as far as humanly possible to come in the back route, right? See, a a wave can topple you, but, but you learn how to work with a wave, don't you? If you just stand there, if you learn how to just kind of jump, let it take you. Paul says, you've learned how to stand firm. You've learned that the waves are going to keep coming, but you know how to ride with it. You've got your feet planted in the right place. See, difficulties bring development. You've learned how to stand firm. Secondly, he says, here's what's going to happen. He's going to supply what is lacking in your faith. He's going to supply what you're lack, what's lacking in your faith. It's an interesting perspective. If, if I could think of life like this, here I am. Maybe put yourself here. Maybe you've been following Jesus for 10 years. Maybe you're thinking about doing it today. There's still something that's lacking in my faith. This is one of the things I love about following Jesus is it has been the greatest adventure of my life. I have not arrived I don't even think I'm close. There's constantly things where I realize this is lacking in my faith. It reminds me of, of a lady. She, she can't attend public services here anymore. She's in her 90s. Jeanette Doles. My, my mom knows her. She's just the sweetest lady in the world. And uh, she's like one of those ladies that's been reading through the Bible for 60 years. One, one, the whole book every year. And here's what I love about her. Whenever I see her, she goes, oh. I've just been learning so much about Jesus. And part of me says, honestly, still? <laughs> like you're 90-something. She's like, I just learned how much he loves me. Here's a lady that understands that there are things that are lacking in her faith, and she's going to keep developing, that she hasn't arrived. 18 years ago, I set a goal every January. So the goal, I'll have some time where I'm just quiet before God and I will ask God for one area in my life. I call it an area of depravity. I don't ask my wife. I don't ask my kids. I don't ask you. I ask God, okay? Because I don't want a really big list. I ask for just one thing. <laughs> Guy, what is one thing that you would like to see changed in my life this year? So this is the 18th year I've done it. Here's what's super depressing. I am hoping that one of these years, I'm like, okay, Lord, what's one thing you, you know needs to change in my life? I'm hoping that one day I'll, it'll be totally silent. And God's like, hmm, uh, you know, 
can't really think of anything, Nate. Yeah. No, no. You know how long it took this year? I asked the question. I had a pen in my hand. I bet within three seconds. What's one thing? Oh, you're right. Wrote it down. Wrote it down because he's going to identify what's lacking in my faith. And it's the trials and it's the difficulties that bring development. It bring growth. And lastly, he says, difficulties bring development. And one day, as you go through this, our love increases and eventually overflows. This is what I keep praying, is that your love increases and overflows. I love the word overflows because I don't know about you, but sometimes loving people is difficult. I think everybody in the room has somebody in their life that you're like, okay, you get up in the morning, you're like, do not slap that person today. It's like, be nice. It is so hard to be loving and kind to certain people. Paul says, you go through this process long enough and you keep walking through difficulties, pretty soon your love increases and then it overflows. And when love is overflowing out of my life, I'm not trying to love people. It's just pouring out of me. He goes, that's, that's how I love you. I don't have to look at you and think, oh, those dysfunctional Thessalonians. No, he's like, man, I love you so much. He's just pouring out of my life. That's a sign of maturity and development. Now, I want to close with this. I wish, I wish there were shortcuts. I wish that I had a formula for spiritual growth for you. It was like some of the diet fads. You know, you just eat an avocado every day and you'll... I mean, everybody's always looking for shortcuts, right? A shortcut to get rich by my program. I'm like, if that program gets you rich, why are you trying to sell it? Like, you should be rich already. I don't understand. Uh, shortcut in health. Man, I had a friend that had, like, he wanted so badly to be incredibly fit. Got into steroids. Yeah, it got him there, but it was a shortcut and led to all kinds of other problems. So we're always looking for shortcuts. Here's one of the things that Paul is saying. This is spiritual maturity is so important, but there are no shortcuts. I want to show you a picture. This image is kind of uh, the backdrop for my childhood. It's just outside of Colorado Springs. We lived about 35, 40 miles outside of Colorado Springs. And this is Pikes Peak. Pikes Peak, very famous, Garden of the Gods in front of it. 14,110 feet at the top. I don't know how many of you have been at 14,000 feet, but it is a completely different environment. You just can't breathe. I climbed it probably a half dozen times all the years I lived outside of the springs. This is what the climb was like. We did it in two days. You start down here in Manitou Springs and you work your way up. There's a place called Bar Camp where you spend the night. It's, uh, in fact, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a marathon if you do the whole thing in a day. It's 13 miles up, 13 miles down. So you spend the night. And then here's the hard part. It's these last few thousand feet. It is steep. If you've been at that elevation, you've got a backpack on, you're talking 10, 15 steps, you stop and your lungs are burning and you're trying to just process oxygen and you keep telling yourself, I can make it, I can make it, I can make it. It is incredibly taxing. But here's what's disappointing. When you crest to the top, there's a parking lot and a gift store and a snack shop. 
There is a road that drives to the top of this mountain. Okay? And I can't tell you how frustrating it is when you, after two days of climbing, and you top out, and you're barely able to breathe, and your head is spinning, and you see some tourist, and they've just bought a little coin that says that I made it to the top of Pike's Peak. Okay? And they, they open their car door, and they're eating an ice cream cone, and they say this, oh, it's so hard to breathe up here. You have no idea. You cheater. This is not how you get to the top of a mountain. Right? It's just frustrating because there's this shortcut. In fact, there's another shortcut. You can take a tram all the way up here. I hate those people too. Like, it's all, that's shortcut, shortcut, shortcut. There's no shortcut. There's no easy road. This is the process of development. It's not about fate. It's not about luck. It's not about karma. It's about a God who says, I love you as you are, but I love you too much to let you stay here. And so he is moving us along and we, we can partner or we can run. He's going to bring the next thing in front of me. And he's saying this, it's like he's teaching me how to ride a bike. You can do this. I know, I know, you're going to crash. But I'm going to pick you up. I'm going to wipe the tears away from your eyes. And we're going to just keep going. Because I have an image of who you can be one day. And we're going to get you there. Would you pray with me? First of all, I just want to pray for anyone in the room who maybe you would say something like this. You'd say, I understand that life is hard and I've gone from painful experience to painful experience. But here's what you realize is different. You've done it alone. And so you've had to pick yourself up. You've had to wipe away the tears. And you've just tried to keep going. What you are missing is your creator and your father who died for you, who loves you, who says, you can do this. I am with you. I will never abandon you. I will never leave you. That's been the missing component in your journey. And if today's the day where you would say, I want to surrender it all to Jesus. I need him to be the master of my life. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to do something that will take some courage. Would you just raise your hand and wave at me and say, Nate, that is me. Yes, 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 ma'am. Beautiful. Yeah, right there. Your daughter, your son. Yes. You're his right in the back there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I see your hand in the balcony if that's you. Yeah. Okay, absolutely. Yeah, I see your hand. Yes and yes. Over here as well. Yeah, right there. Over here. Yeah, I see your hand. Yes, ma'am, you're his daughter. You're forgiven. You're made new. Yeah, okay, right in the back. You're his. He loves you so much. Okay, here as well. Yes. Oh, that's beautiful. 
Now, for all of us, Lord, we want to grow up. Sometimes we don't want to face the challenges of growing up. Lord, would you walk with us? Difficulties are out there, but we are not alone. You will teach us how to walk. You'll pick us up when we've fallen, and you will move us through the challenges so that we can stand firm in what is lacking and our faith will be developed and so that one day our love overflows. We do not do this alone. You're with us. In your name we pray this. Amen. Amen. There are a whole bunch of people that raised their hands. Would you just celebrate their decision? Oh, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. So everybody that raised their hands, I want you to know you are sons and daughters of God. You're forgiven. Head towards these I Have Decided banners. I want to get a book in your hand and help you get started. Everybody else. Be the hands and the feet and the mouthpiece of Jesus. You are loved. If you need prayer for anything, there's people up front you can trust. God bless.